Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hello and welcome to Extra Time, a web-only sports program from Radio New Zealand Sport. I'm Stephen Houston. In the program this week, Sonny Bill Williams. Should he be in the Kiwis World Cup side or not? We talked to Andrew Durante ahead of the opening game of the A-League football season for the Phoenix. The Silver Ferns are in damage control mode going into the final test of the Constellation Cup Series against Australia. The All Black Sevens begin the defence of their World Series title. And the Auckland runner Wayne Borter sets a world record for barefoot running. But why would you? Should he or shouldn't he be part of the Kiwis Rugby League World Cup squad? After initially making himself unavailable for the New Zealand side, Sonny Bill Williams' U-turn caused all sorts of problems for New Zealand Rugby League this week. Having named his 24-strong team, coach Stephen Kearney then decided to drop the Melbourne Storm's Tohu Harris to bring in Williams, who only the day before had told him he didn't want to play. The chief executive of New Zealand Rugby League, Phil Holden, says they were in a no-win situation. Whichever decision New Zealand Rugby League made, we're going to have some people that are going to go, that's a great decision, and others that are going to go, it's not a good decision. We are pretty focused on winning the World Cup. We think that he's an undeniable talent. You know, we went through quite a robust discussion. We had to check to make sure that we could actually take him. Um, once we knew that we could, then we had to then front up to the difficult decisions around um, the conversations with Toe, who he's replaced. The decision, though, doesn't sit well with former Kiwis coach Frank Endicott, who says Williams shouldn't have been named even if it's the difference between winning and losing the World Cup. But another former Kiwis coach, Graham Lowe, says Williams simply can't be left out, and he blames Kiwis coach Stephen Kearney for the fiasco. He had to be there, and it's it's just a pity that we had to go through amateur hour to, to get this far. I mean, um, obviously there was some issue leading up to it on whether he was available or not, but the, the right way to have done it would have been, because he is so important to the campaign, the right way would have been to wait right to the last moment and um, and let Sonny enjoy the experience that he's that he's been going through during the semi-finals period and the grand final on Sunday, and then and then put the issue to him again. I mean, you don't for for such an important player like that, you don't just accept uh, the first thing or, or might have other commitments or whatever was said. I I just think that's you know that's absolute amateur hour on the way they've the way they've handled it. And um, fortunately now he's he's in the team and and um, uh, you know New Zealand's chances now have risen a hundred percent. An exception needs to be made because he's Sonny Bill Williams. I think so. You know the, the um, we're brought up in this country to say that everybody is the same as everybody else, but in reality, some are better than others, and in, in, particularly in sport. And um, Sonny Bill has definitely demonstrated. Uh, with his clear actions in the past, that that um, he's a sincere person. Um, he thinks carefully about what he's going to do, uh, and when he's committed, he's committed. And not only that, um, he's a match winner. He he is the he is the match winner, and um, I think you know New Zealand and the Kiwi, the Kiwis uh, have done the only only thing they could do, and that's put him in the team. He must have known though what turning down or saying to Stephen Kearney, "I'm unavailable," meant surely. 
Well, I think that um, we don't really know what he did say to Stephen Kearney. We don't know what Stephen said to him. Um, we can only, I can only assume, and I do assume, um, that it's been handled very poorly. Uh, it should never have got this far. Um, and, and you know, it's it's added it's added a look to the game that um, the game could do without. I mean, we're it's a professional game, and and uh, I think this has been handled like amateurs. Tough call though for Tohu Harris, who was in the squad and now he's not. Well, absolutely terrible, demoralising. There's one thing for certain: he'll never play for Stephen Kearney again. So you've got that issue, that, you know, and you, you can't blame him. But um, you know, the whole the, the way that unfortunately that Stephen has handled it uh, has brought about this situation. So um, there's no one else to blame, I don't think. Does it send us any messages to where Sonny Bill's future may lie? Do you think? Well, I can't. I, I, I can't really see that um, that he'd be going to make a change immediately after the World Cup back to rugby. But you never know if anyone can do it. It is him. He's he's a unique um, sporting person, and um, you know, no challenge is too big for him. So, while I suppose a lot of the the rugby league, particularly the Roosters fans, are salivating with the, the thought of Sonny being there next year. You know, you never know what he's going to do, and um, he's quite capable of going a totally different con- uh, direction once the World Cup's over. It must provide some uh, spark of hope, though, I suppose, for Rugby League, given there seemed to be an indication, or certainly the uh, the predictions were, that he was going to head back to the Chiefs. Yeah, well, it's, I suppose that was the, the common thought and gossip around, around the town, but, um, you know, if you wanted to put money on it, you'd, you'd probably be... Uh, better putting it on uh, the the option of him staying with Rugby League for 2014. I was talking to former Kiwis and Manly coach Graham Lowe. The Wellington Phoenix are about to enter their seventh season in the Australian football competition, the A-League, but it'll be their first without Ricky Herbert as coach. Herbert, who had been with the side since its inception in 2007, parted ways with the Wellington club in the latter stages of last season, when the Phoenix were sitting rock bottom in the competition. He was replaced by Scotsman Ernie Merrick in May. Merrick's had a successful six years with the Melbourne victory, and he's the competition's most experienced coach. While Merrick's new to the side, skipper Andrew Durant is not. He's been captain since 2008. He's been through some rough times on and off the field with the club, and while he won't be playing in this weekend's opening game against the Brisbane Roar in Wellington, as he's away on international duty with the All-Whites, He's extremely positive about the season ahead. It's going to be pretty difficult. Obviously, we've done the hard yards with the team for the last four months. Uh, you know, it's been a pretty grueling pre-season, and um, you know, we've learned a new style of football, and and it's been really great. We've everyone's enjoyed it, and like you said, not long to go till kickoff. But um, unfortunately, the the All Whites boys will be away for the first one. That different style. How much adapting has it taken? Yeah, it's probably a good thing we had such a long uh, pre-season. You know, everyone complains that it's too long, but it was actually probably a blessing in disguise for us this year. Uh, you know, we've got a, a brand new style, new coach, obviously with a new philosophy. And uh, look, it's taken a while to to uh, adapt to it, but um, it's still a work in progress. But we're definitely, um, you know, in the right direction. Possession, but the key to it. Uh, yeah, look, you know what, his philosophy is scoring goals. He wants people to score goals, um, get people into the box. Uh, he doesn't really necessarily want wide guys just staying wide and delivering crosses. He, he wants everyone who plays in that front, you know, three or four, to, to be scoring goals. So it's a really uh, positive uh, brand of football. It's a really attackive style, and, uh, you know, it, it, it 
probably will um, highlight Carlos's importance to the team because he'll be crucial to it. Yeah, how, how much adjustment does it take coming, I suppose, from, from a very different style of, of play under under Ricky Herbert? Yeah, like I said, it's uh, it's been great to have such a long preseason. It's it's a different style. Every coach has their own style. Uh, but uh, look, Ernie's got a lot of new faces that have to gel, not not necessarily just because of the style, but there's a lot of faces that have to gel in as well. A lot of young boys, he's, he's signed a lot of young boys, which are great. They're, they're great young talents. And uh, like I said, it's still a work in progress, but um, you know we'll, we'll be ready come first game. How much work does that create for you as captain, helping bring that new squad together? Because there have been a lot of changes. Yeah, look, it's it's all brand new to me as well, and um, you know I'm kind of going to be Ernie's voice out on the field and and, and telling the players what to um, what to be doing. So it, I've got a really important role uh, this year. Obviously, uh, probably a little bit more emphasis on me to make sure that uh, I'm delivering the right message. Um, but it's been great. I've I've enjoyed working closely with Ernie. He's he's a really good coach and a, and a really good person just to um, you know sit down and chat to in general. What do you think are going to be your strengths this season? Uh Look, I think you know we'll we'll be really attackive. You know, it won't be too many risks at the back. It's not going to be a, a Barcelona style of football where it's a, a thousand passes before you get a shot on goal. It will be um, you know into into the midfield quickly into the front guys and uh, you know lots of shots. Uh, you know, good early crosses in, in good areas and um, keeping possession in the front half of, of the field. That's where where Ernie wants to keep the ball um, and that's where he wants to win the ball back. So you'll see uh, you know probably a, a better pressing team. Um, with the new style and, and keeping the ball a lot better in that front half. And what's that going to have to mean, I suppose, improvement-wise, or areas that you're going to have to particularly focus on because of that approach? Yeah, look, uh, obviously getting to, to grips with um, when to close and how to close in that front front half has is, is been a major difference. Um, you know, previous seasons we've probably let um, teams dictate a little bit of play and we've sat off a bit, so that's, that's probably one big change. And... Um, you know, just just being really positive when we get the ball, and um, you know, he wants the left and right fullbacks to, to be getting forward a lot. They're not necessarily um, you know defenders all the time. You know, you got young Louis who was potentially going to play. They're obviously missing now, but um, you know, people saw that as a really negative uh, defensive thing for him. But it's actually allowed him to go forward a lot more with a lot more freedom. So there's there's a lot of different things that everyone um, will gradually see throughout the season. What are you looking forward to the most about it? Uh, from, just, from purely a, a personal point of view, yeah, just to to kind of see, um, well, firstly to to make up for last season, it was a it was a it was a horrible season. Um, you know, it was it was horrible for the players, it was horrible for the fans, and and just one to kind of park in. And I guess we've got a lot of um, you know repay the faith to a lot of people. So it's a kind of a I won't say a rebuilding year, but it's definitely a year to repay um, everyone involved. And uh, you know, we let a lot of people down. So. Just excited to get out there, see how the new system works against all these other teams. I'm sure all the other teams will be the same and, and have new systems, and um, and the better ones will, will uh, probably be fine-tuning what they did last year. So it's, it's going to be great. I think it's going to be a really tight season. Um, you know, it's pretty hard to pick who will who will be in that uh, you know first, second, and, and even in that top six. What about the field? Did, you know, I mean, you've been around the place a few years now. Just mm-hmm. just the general feel and the and the score. Yeah, it feels it feels different. It feels great. I think I've spoken to a lot of you know people in the general public, and they've they're really excited about it. Um, you know, probably went a little bit stale over the last year or two, and there probably wasn't a heap of excitement around the club. But um, you know, I think this year, um, you know, at our, our at our family day, there was a, a great turnout, and it was a fantastic day, and, and everyone seems to be really excited about it. I think they just more um, they just want to see 
what's in store for the for the club, their new coach, and they want to know, you know, how exciting this is going to be. So uh, let's hope we do the business on the park and we get the fans back. And Brisbane first up, you, you're not you're not there, but I mean, always tough, but at least it's a home game first up. Yeah, I guess that's the the positive. It's a home game. It's going to be very difficult. They're a fantastic team. Um, you know, we've watched a few games of their preseason games, and they, and they look like they're going to be you know there or thereabouts again this year. So, uh, missing a few All Whites boys for the first game is always going to be difficult. He's going to uh, Ernie's going to have to rely on some probably less experienced players to to um, fill the gaps. But um, we've been working hard on that. Most of the preseason has been about the build-up to this first game and, and I'm pretty confident uh, whoever plays will, will do a good job. Is Brisbane the kind of side that might actually provide you with a, a great test of, of your new approach? Are, are they going to test you at all facets and maybe a side that will tell you just where you're at? Yeah, definitely. I think... Um you know, like I said, they're going to be there or thereabouts in the, the year. They've got a very, very strong team. They've just brought um, some players back. Matt Mackay's there, and you've got players like Broish and Barisha, you know, Jade North's there. They're, they're very strong all over the park, and it will be a very good test to see where we're at. I think um, regardless of the result, um, it will give us an indication of what needs to, to improve or, or what we've done well. And, um, yeah, we'll just see. And then we'll get the All-Whites boys back the week after, and uh, we'll see what Ernie has planned. Other other teams, I mean, is it simply the usual suspects, or are there maybe the odd dark horse that you've cast your eye over? Uh, we haven't seen a lot of footage uh, of, of many of the other teams just from what I've been reading. It seems like, um, you know, Victory and, um, you know, Central Coast will, will be will be strong again. Um, Western Sydney, both Sydney teams have had kind of an up and down um, pre-season, but, you know, it's funny, you can't really read too much into pre-season games. We, we nearly won a pre-season tournament, uh, you know, in, in the first year I was here and we finished towards the bottom end. So, uh, look, we won't read too much into it, but I think the usual suspects will be there or thereabouts. That's Wellington Phoenix captain Andrew Durante. And the other whites could learn just who they'll be playing in their World Cup qualifier next month, depending on the result of the Mexico-Panama game this weekend. You're listening to Extra Time, a web-only sports programme from Radio New Zealand Sport. I'm Stephen Hewson. The Silver Ferns are staring down the barrel of a four-game losing streak to arch-rivals Australia as the team prepares for the fifth and final Constellation Cup netball test in Canberra on Sunday. New Zealand's already had to hand over the trophy they won last year with the Diamonds having an unassailable 3-1 lead in the series. And coach Waitamanu says a 4-1 series loss would be simply unacceptable. But she's confident they can reduce the deficit after their recent loss in Melbourne on Monday. There's a lot of pride to play for. This group um, is is very aware that um, we've got our own pride on the line and our own performance on the line on Sunday. We felt that there were probably two areas that um, we need to really tidy up on. And um, other than that, we felt that it was a pretty competitive game and that in terms of just ball-faced numbers coming out of the out of the match that we were um, matched them pretty well in, in most departments. Just two, there was our offensive penalties where the um, umpire took the ball off us for offensive penalties rather than a defensive one um, were higher than they normally are, and um, our uh, accuracy scoring off ball from a, a gain an intercept or something like that was lower than it often is. So those are two areas that we'll be looking to tidy up for the last game. I suppose those problems with the umpires went both ways, didn't they? Yes, they did. Yep. So it, I think um, probably Australia would have found that their offensive penalties were higher than normal too. The talk about the physicality, I mean, do you really, it, it, to be honest, it didn't actually seem that more physical than any other New Zealand-Australia test match. Is that fair comment um, or not? I thought they were more physical than they were in New Zealand. Um, they are they're pretty tough in the, in the defensive circle um, and the offensive circle. 
one or two errors can cost you a game. So we're so evenly matched that it really does often come down to one more attempt on goal. And that then means that you're really working hard for rebound position, for um, shooting position close to the goalpost. That just makes the environment in those circles much tougher than it used to be. Casey Kopur and Katrina Grant, though, they're, they're not certainly not timid either. So the physicality no, no, go, no, goes no. both ways. No, but we do play a game that's about interception. So Katrina's someone who's looking for ball coming off and taking clean ball outside the circle. So we have a slightly different style. The Australian, and if you look at our um, statistics, our game ball, so ball we take off them, is often far greater in terms of intercepts rather than opposition error, whereas the Australian ball off us tends to be opposition error, which is around tight man-to-man marking and forcing, um, forcing ball out of court. So they are two different styles somewhat. So their their turnover ball is created on a physical presence as opposed to an intercept process. And creating yeah, creating error and putting putting real pressure on. Yep. Whereas we try and don't always succeed, but we do, do try to um, take ball off, um, ball in flight. So, and that's in the traditional New Zealand game. It's the, the um, background to the zone play that we often throw on. It is about um, interceptions. Um, defensively. Do the silver ferns therefore need to become more physical defensively? I don't know that given that we have never really in any of our club matches, franchise matches, that we don't particularly play that physical man-to-man style to suddenly incorporate it into our group with not real background in it. I don't know that that would be that effective. When you come to Sunday's game, do you, is it, you don't take the, the opportunity to maybe try a few more combinations that you might have otherwise done? Do you need to make it 3-2 because walking away with a 4-1 result would not be good at all? We, no, a 4-1 result would not be something that would be good at. Um, and also, I think, you know, I think we've had 11 people on the court. So in terms of the um, variety of players, we've had three people through the wing attack position. Probably would have had more changes defensively had we um, had the ability to put Liana De Bruyne out there. Um, so uh, throughout the series, for a variety of reasons, we've had a variety of people on court. So that's not going to be a driving factor. Um, there are certainly people here, for example, Shannon, that we might decide to give more court time to. Um, but that would be about giving her experience going forward more as much as anything else. Has this highlighted the, the absence of Liana Leota this series? Well, you know, it's not just Liana. We lost Kayla Cullen and um, Millie Lees as well, who would have been options for us through that midcourt. Um, so they were two that we spent a lot of time developing last year, and the other one we spent time developing was Bailey Mish. And for a variety of reasons, <laughs> that development work hasn't come. We've had to do more, and that's, that's fine. That's, that's opportunities arisen, and I think um, Shannon in particular has really taken that opportunity with both hands. Do you have to take any, I suppose, or look at this match, given it's the last one that you'll play against Australia before the Commonwealth Games, quite likely? Mm-hmm. Does that change any approach, or do you have to t- or give this game more significance? No, I, we've, um, I think we've made some progress over the last couple of matches um, in terms of what we're trying to do on court. As I said, there's a couple of things we've identified that we do need to tidy up on. So I, if we can maintain the standards that we're, we're starting to achieve in all of the aspects of play and improve those too, I'll be reasonably happy. I was talking to Silver Ferns coach Wai Tamanu. The All Blacks Sevens begin the defence of their World Series title on the Gold Coast this weekend. Sir Gordon Titchen's squad includes seven players who won the Sevens World Cup in Moscow in July and ten who played in the side on the World Series circuit last season. Tim Mickelson, who was named Player of the Year for 2013 and has been playing for Waikato in the Provincial Rugby Premiership, told Alex Coogan-Reeves it's taken some adjustments resuming training under Titchen's notorious sessions in Mount Monganui. All the boys who've been training solely for Sevens came in and had some real good numbers. 
us boys at 15s have done some hard work during our 15s campaign, so we, we gelled pretty good together. And um, like I said, we had a hard week of training and playing each other, so um, yeah, looking forward to going over to Gold Coast. I imagine it'll be a very different uh, type of training that you'd be doing now from what you have been doing with your ITM and that. Yeah, definitely. Um, with 15s, we sort of do drills over 20, 30 metres and touches drills a whole field, so. You know, after half an hour or so, you're starting to blow, blow a lot, but it's good, you know, it's good to get back into it and um, get the lungs and legs used to it. And with the um, team you've got for this uh, first first tournament, it's no, it's a pretty um, experienced team and not too many new faces. Does that make it a lot easier when you're coming back in and for the first tournament that you sort of know all the guys already and you know what to expect? Yeah, you know, when all the boys came back in, it was... Um, sort of just catching up and going over all our roles and all our old moves, it was um, pretty seamless really. We had a couple of new guys come in, a couple of guys that um, played before, just got back into it and um, one new player, so he's been coming in and learning a lot and um, he should go well this weekend. Do you think that's the right way to go moving forward, not trying to bring too many new guys in at a time so you can sort of, you know, you're not changing too much? Um, yes or no, I mean... Um, such as camps are pretty hard, so anyone who really puts their hand up and plays well and empties the tank, I suppose, um, deserves to get a shot at the 12. So just anyone really at camp who puts their hand up. And now I'm um, heading into a new new round of the um, World Series. Are you expecting the competition just to go up another level each year, sort of as we head into head into the Olympics in a couple of years' time? Yeah, every year <clears throat> it gets tougher and tougher, and. Uh, I suppose of all the teams and all the countries being full time now, they've been playing um, tournaments around the world and I suppose got a head start on us. We were coming out of 15s and the boys have been training by ourselves, so the teams will be hot and um, they'll be informed from coming from tournaments, so we just got to go over there and get straight into our work and take it from our first game. And does it feel like every team, every year, sorry, there's more teams that are capable of? causing upsets and winning tournaments that you wouldn't have um, considered a threat so much before? Yeah, you just look at the winners of the tournaments last year, I think it's almost a winner, new winner every weekend and new quarters, new semis, you can never really tell who's going to win a pool, so every game you've got to be on your, on your best because you never know who will go through. Yeah, I guess for you guys who always walk around with a target on your backs, so you always the team that other teams want to get up for as well? Yeah, you know, every time we um, play someone they want to get up and beat us, I suppose, and um, we've just got to be, just got to focus on what we got to do and our roles and what we want to do because can't focus on them too much or could get carried away. What is the event like at Gold Coast? Is it, you know, sort of that party atmosphere on, in the stands and that sort of thing? Yeah, you know, it's, um, it's always beautiful weather when we go over there and you know, a lot of Kiwis in Australia, so we always get a great following and always come out. So um, hopefully it's no different this year and we can have a good crowd and hopefully get the result for them. And you've got a pretty tough pool, considering I guess they're all tough pools now, but with um, Kenya in there and USA who are getting better all the time and then the Tonga, always dangerous. Just talk about, um, yeah, sort of no easy games in there, are they? Yeah, no, I mean, we played um, USA and um, Moscow. We had a close game against them. I mean, Tonga have beat Fiji before, so and, and Kenya, we've lost to Kenya and Wellington, so um, every game's a tough game, and I think it's just crucial that we start well in those games, and we'll just flow into our game. If we take a while to get going, that's when they grow confidence, and it's going to be real tough. Tim Mickelson talking to Alex Keegan-Reese.
The veteran DJ Forbes will again captain the side with the Wellington winger Ambro Curtis, the only newcomer in the 12-strong squad. New Zealand play the United States, Kenya and Tonga in pool play on Saturday. The Auckland runner Wayne Borters set a record for the greatest distance run barefoot in 24 hours, covering more than 200 kilometres. Last weekend, Borter ran 528 laps of the Millennium Stadium in Auckland, totalling 211.5 kilometres, beating the previous mark of 181.5 kilometres set by Australian Robert Knowles in April. On his way to his 24-hour record, Borter also set a new Guinness Book of Records mark for the fastest 100 kilometres in bare feet, recording 8 hours, 49 minutes and 42 seconds, 58 minutes faster than the previous best. I spoke to him about just why he does it and the dangers involved. Running is a, a very big passion of mine. Um, and uh, it basically all started with the, the Comrades Marathon being a culture in South Africa and something that we all, all want to do one day. And so I managed to do the Comrades about 18 years ago. I haven't looked back since. But why the bare feet? The bare feet, um, actually I, I saw an Australian Robert Knowles uh, running it last year in, in Sydney. And uh, he happened to break the world record there, and I thought, well, that that looked doable. So um, I thought I'd give it a go and and ran a a 24-hour race last year, the same race, Um, uh, and I did the the 12-hour and managed to break the world record um, last year. So this is actually the second time. It's something I've sort of incorporated into my training um, just to to give a bit of a variation to my training and, and to toughen up my feet a bit because I... I seem to struggle with um, with bruised feet after 24-hour racing, so so I thought I'd just incorporate barefoot running just to toughen up the feet at the same time. Mind you, I imagine most people would struggle with bruised feet after 24 hours of <laughs> non-stop running, wouldn't they? So that, that would hardly be a surprise. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> Zola Bud didn't spur you on at any point. Well, she she's inspired me when I was when I was young, you know, growing up. So uh, she's always been a, a hero of mine. Um, and I, I have been in contact with her, actually asking advice how to toughen up my feet, but she said she couldn't help me because she couldn't even comprehend running such a distance. Did you get any other sort of response from her? Uh, well, she, she did contact me to congratulate me, but, um, yes, it's, uh, it's quite special, actually, just, you know, having these euros when, you, when, you, when you're growing up and then, and then all of a sudden they, they want more information and, and, you know, phoning you to congratulate you, it's quite, it's quite humbling, really. Uh, I'd been doing about 30 kilometres a week for the last three months uh, on the track barefoot, so so I knew my feet were were tough enough to to handle 30 kilometres. Um, I didn't know how they would take a full 24 hours, but um, it seemed to get a lot easier. Even you know after after the first 12 hours, the pain almost went away, and uh, the feet became numb. So um, it just seemed to to get easier when the night came and and probably the track cooled down. Uh, I was able to sort of forget about the f- running, the running part, and then had to focus on, on the mental side of things and and just getting, the right food intake. You know, so that that became quite important at that stage. Where do you go in your mind to cope with with running over such a period? Your mind takes you to all places. You know, you you think about your past and, and your future, and and I actually really I think about my family a lot. Especially my folks. I lost my old man two years ago to to cancer. So I almost sort of dedicated this to him, you know, and and was thinking about him a lot. And yeah, just the friends and family, and 
and you chat to fellow runners and everybody's experiencing the same ups and downs and, and it's actually quite a an, an emotional thing because um, you're all in the same boat together just struggling along, you know, and going for 24 hours. So right, I happened to listen to, to some rugby commentary too at the same time because the, the test match was on Saturday, so uh, <laughs> we got scored up, score updates. So, yeah, it's just, it's just the, the friendships that grow around the track. You know, you, you have your chat now and then and then you catch up later on. So it's, it's quite, a, quite an event, really. So there were other people there running with you? Yeah, I think there, there were um, 40 runners in all. Um, a few did a six-hour event and then a 12-hour event. And then there were about 28 of us doing the 24-hour the event. And your next challenge, what, what lies ahead? I still need to do a sub three hour marathon, so uh, <laughs> that's on the top of my list. But um, I'm very, also very fortunate to be part of the New Zealand 24 hour team. And uh, the last few years we've been taking part in in the World Champs every year. So um, I think the next venue is just about to be announced. So looking forward to that. Um, probably uh, midway through next year, we'll have the World Champs, uh, the 24 hour World Champs somewhere in the world. When you're training, do you simply train on a track or you're out on the footpath on the roads? Yeah, I, I try and mix it up. Um, you know, I do a few trails and and um, I've just been doing some track work now for this for this event specifically. So, But I normally just run up and down the North Shore training, uh, a few beaches, a few trails, and then, and then mostly on the road. So what's the worst thing you've stood on when you've been out running barefoot? Probably the the odd little stone. I, I think they they just um, uh, resurfaced the road near Torbay recently, and uh, there were a few extra stones in the pavement, so that that was pretty painful. But uh, yeah, no, no, no cuts, no, nothing penetrated my skin or anything like that. So I was I was very fortunate. You'd have to be pretty careful for the dog poo as well. Yeah, <laughs> fortunately the the residents keep it tidy in our area, so uh, yeah, that hasn't been an issue yet. I was talking to barefoot runner Wayne Porter, who's set a world record in running 211 kilometres barefoot in 24 hours. And on that exhaustive note, we come to the end of Extra Time for another week. Remember, if you wish to contact us, you can email us at sport at radionz.co.nz. I'm Stephen Hewson. Bye for now. Tired of ads barging into your favourite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.